Sorry. For once, I was not recording during our preamble. I am a thistle sifter. I have a sieve of thistles and a sieve of unsifted thistles because I'm a thistle sifter. Sure. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Wages of Cinema. <laughs> That's Andrew. I'm Jack. And, and I'm Andrew. Yes, he's Andrew. And he's always Andrew. I'm Jack. I'm always Jack. Um, so thank you for listening to us. Uh, we are actually recording this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, a little balmy, but not too bad. It's probably going to get a lot hotter out. Um, that's my weather comment for the moment. And that's the weather portion of our program. Let's move on to sports, Jack. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jackie with the Mad Dog. This is Mad Dog with me. Oh, Mad, Mad Dog. dog. That's really gonna. That's really gonna. <laughs> that's, that's really gonna hammer down our region. <laughs> that's a. That's an actual radio show. You know. I know. People Mike are gonna Mad go dog. on the internet and be like, "Oh, where are these guys from? Yes. We gotta find a talk radio guy named Mad Dog." Yeah. All right, we're good. Um, but uh, but speaking of radio and uh, speaking of listeners, uh, you know, we we always like to encourage people to. Uh, give us messages, any thoughts or comments or questions or whatever about uh, our show. Um, and it builds our self-esteem. Do. It does. It makes us power up a little bit. We feel like we can take on the world. And uh, we got a couple of comments. Uh, Sweet. This, yeah, this comes after our, um, uh, uh, what you call it, uh, alien review. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, uh, actually, one of the comments... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you could say it. This counts because uh, our good friend uh, guest star Matt Catania, uh, <laughs> he actually left us a couple of comments. Uh, uh, one good uh, old guest star Matt. Yeah, thank you, Matt, um, for for sending us messages because I, I tweeted out, uh, of course, our episode after it went up, and then I also shared it on Facebook. He left us two separate comments on both Twitter and Facebook. So, busy so, man. Yeah, thank you for taking some time out of your busy life, Matt. I know you're. <laughs> Doing so many Matt things. All right, now it sounds like you're making fun of me. <laughs> no, I'm not making... I'm I'm what being complimentary you, what, that he le- gave us comments. What, what did the man say? Okay, well, on Twitter... So, you know, we had our Alien review. And his first comment was, At least Alien Covenant is better than Prometheus. Okay, I think we can all agree on that. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, at first, I... Except for- I Well, I changed my mind, I think, over the course of the review. At first, I was like, it's better... But yeah, I came we, uh, around, and in the couple weeks, or no, the week we since really we really grappled over this. Well, the week since in, since the week we recorded that, I've also thought a little bit more, and uh, I, I like the movie. I, think I it's like the movie too. Yeah, I don't know. I still don't know if I like it quite as much as you do. I still think there's a bit of schlock, but I I enjoyed it, and I've realized now that there are a few flaws I didn't mention, but uh, still okay. I'm net. I'm, I'm not going to mention. All right. Atheist. So here, but here's the Matt's <laughs> question, and he well, he left us a couple more comments. First, he said that, uh, and I quote, "I'd argue that the AVP movies count as alien movies more than Prometheus, since they unambiguously feature xenomorphs." You've got a good point. That is a very Matt comment, and I uh, I think that's a good point. Um, which brings me actually, I'm going to go back to. Oh, Matt's... that's going to be that's going to be a great debate. Whether which one's better, the Alien versus Predator series or Prometheus? <laughs> I'm willing to fight well, on that. Well, now I'm glad you mentioned that because before I get to Matt's question, I'd like to also point out we got a, a tweet from uh, a guy who we've, I've actually mentioned before, Ridley There's... Scott. Yeah, Ridley Scott tweeted at us. He's like, "All right, guys, how you doing? Well, I really like your podcast and." Uh... Here's a cigar for you. Right. Yes. 
<laughs> That's my bad. Finally. Um, no, uh, I mentioned this. There, there's this uh, fellow named Pedro Sebastian Pizarro Rojas. Hey, Pedro. Hey, Pedro. How's it going? Um, and he sent us a tweet uh, with a suggestion. Ooh. He said that uh, the Wages of Cinema Guys should do an Alien Franchise special podcast. Hmm. Not bad. I find that really intriguing. And yeah. I will watch, even though I don't care about them, I will watch the Alien vs. Predator movies so we can talk about it. I have those. never seen the Alien vs. Predator movies. Have Neither you seen, have I. Have you seen Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection? I haven't seen Alien Resurrection. Okay. This and is I, a perfect opportunity. I have never seen the original... Will I watch Prometheus again? I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> but... Well, I don't know if I necessarily need to rewatch Alien and Aliens. I you could always be, watch them because, you know, they're great movies. You know, but... it would be a good time to do this right as Alien Covenant comes out on DVD. I think that would be great so we can uh, watch it again. Yeah, so Pedro, maybe keep a listen to us. Uh, you know, now movies come out on DVD, like, the next day. Pretty much. Uh, so, uh, maybe... I remember seeing movies in June and having to wait till Christmas until they came out. Logan is on DVD right now. Jeez. That's crazy. That just goes to show how how arbitrary Hollywood has been so far with their <laughs> video releases. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a whole other discussion it's too just, for another time. Uh, but you know, it is all about the eventual decline and disappearance of the cinema. So, uh, you know, if it's in with uh, with, with life and uh, but, but and the... the destruction of Jack's childhood. So, you know, if we're headed that way, I'm okay. Yeah. Sure. Thanks, Andrew, for bringing me down. You're welcome. Uh, no, uh, so keep it listen, and maybe later this summer, or the start of fall, we'll, maybe we'll do an Alien podcast. Possibly tomorrow, if it comes out. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep my eyes open at Walmart. And, and see we'll do that... the episode as soon as Alien Covenant comes out on DVD. It's like, oh, it's right next yeah. to us right now. But no, but I do like this idea because, yeah, I've never seen the Alien vs. Predator movies Um you know, I don't know. You you might want to say I'm snobbish in saying this, but they they looked like garbage. You're snobbish in saying that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I guess I was. No, I'm saying I was snobbish. Now I'm saying though, I am curious. So I'm changing After my mind. That, we could do I'm what? like a politician. I'm I'm evolving on the issue After that, of Alien could, versus Predator. We could do an entire uh, we could do an entire retrospective on the Predator franchise. Hmm. Well, you know, I let's, let's not get too. Yeah. Well, let's not promise too much. But still, well, know. there is a new Predators movie coming out next year. No that uh, Shane Black is uh, behind it. Shane Black. Yeah, and you know he well he acted in the first Predator movie. Was he the uh, Was he the guy who said I ain't got time to bleed? No, that's Jesse Ventura. Oh, I always get those two mixed up. <laughs> they look was so he much the guy, alike. Was he the guy who said um, if it bleeds, we can kill it? No, I don't know who that would be. Um, no, is that's he a... the guy who said? <laughs> Are we just gonna go through all the presents? Is he the guy who said? I haven't seen the movie in a while, so I'm not sure. I'd have to double check on that with my research team. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I have never seen Predator Two. Neither have I. Yeah, I have seen Predator uh, is a decent action movie. Predator is a lot of, is really good. Yeah. That, that's when uh, you know John McTiernan had uh, he had Predator and then he had Die Hard within a two year span. That's pretty good. Yeah, you know, that that really made him known in Hollywood in a big way. Um, 
And, yeah, no, uh, I'd have to think about that. I mean, there aren't as many Predator movies as there are Alien movies, but, you know, there. I guess there is that overlap. Um, no, but I've actually heard... I've heard people defend Alien vs. Predator. I've heard nobody defend Alien vs. Predator Requiem, though. I hear that is one of the... Not just the worst Alien franchise movie, just one of the worst movies ever made, period. Interesting. So, but that could make for a good movie night sure. for us. So yes, so Make thank you. Make a great episode of the podcast. So thank you, Pedro, for for that uh, for that question. And he actually gave us a nice little gif too. I'm just going to show this to Andrew. It's something I've seen before. <laughs> <laughs> if you've never seen it, there's a gif online Duh. of uh, of it's it just just Google stapler alien and you should be able to find it. Um, so thank you again, Pedro. And uh, lastly, though, Matt did have a question for us as well um, in the same ins- post. Matt is insatiable. I know. He left us two comments and a question. Man, you're you're a madman. You're a math man. Don't you have a novel to work on? <laughs> anyway, what's Matt's uh, question? He asked us, um, would you have liked this as much if Prometheus hadn't lowered your expectations? Oh, and, I, a, and I feel like well, we, we kind of addressed that. Well, uh, let me say, if Prometheus hadn't lowered our expectations, then uh, then Alien Resurrection would have lowered our expectations. <laughs> and if it wasn't that, Alien 3 would have lowered our expectations. Well, so it, well it's not <sighs> like... It's not like the Alien franchise has had a great track record. In the past 30 years, that, we've had disappointment after disappointment. Yeah, and then Alien vs. Predator got thrown in there. And even though we don't count it, it doesn't exactly, it's not exactly a, uh, a franchise booster, if you, if you will. But um, I, I do have to acknowledge that I was ready for this to be a disaster. Because Ridley really, Scott was... Really? The word, you're bringing up the disaster word here. Well, I thought Prometheus was a disaster because nah. it promised so much and delivered nothing. Mm. And, you know, they decided whatever merits Prometheus had, they decided to make another movie. Yeah. And Ridley Scott came back. And I feel like Ridley Scott is sloppy. Uh, mm. I feel like his work on a film is not a guarantee of, of quality. Mm. And so, yeah, Prometheus certainly degraded my expectations i kind of like this film so much because i was so surprised about how much i enjoyed it and mm. how and how much i i really kindled to it so yeah i can't deny that mm. i can't deny that i feel very good about covenant because of the failings of prometheus yeah. uh but all that said i still feel like it's a legitimately good film is it a great science fiction film no probably not but it was really exciting it had a lot of interesting things in it i would recommend it to other people i think based on its own merits yeah no no that's a good way to put it i was i was in a slightly different position i didn't i would not use the disaster word for prometheus this is you use like the word disaster for something like uh I don't know, like Jupiter Ascending or something. But Jupiter Ascending, what kind of expectations did we have for that? Something we never heard of with a bunch of actors who were not A-grade actors at the time. Well, no, no, I'm not saying I expected it to be a disaster. It turned out to be a disaster. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Um, I, but if you think about but it... But you're talking about expectations of a movie being a disaster based on the previous movie being a disaster. Well, the part of the reason I'm so pissed off about what Prometheus is because 
of how much they stoked everybody's expectations. Mm, it was interesting. It was Ridley Scott on a prequel to Alien, which was supposed to address so much of the lore and so much of the mystery around it, and and that. And, okay, my expectations really colored how I thought about that mm-hmm. film, but how could it not? Because that film was all about expectations. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's this weird contextual thing of the advertising of, fil- of a film and its reception. Okay, that's, that's, and, intri- that's a good way to put it. Now, and, and, and quite frankly, I don't think, well... All right, all it's, right. It's hard to say, but... No, no, I, that, that's, I, a, that's a pretty good answer, I, I think. I kind of feel that... I, I gotta finish this discussion about Prometheus so that I can stop talking about okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I, I still feel as strongly about Prometheus as I do now. I know, and, and then you know, Prometheus to you is like what the prequels are to, to certain fan people out yeah, there. Yeah, and I don't even care that much about the Alien franchise. Yeah, that's the funny thing. We've talked it's about Alien like it's before. It's a childhood favorite of mine, and it's not even like in my top five, but no movie pissed me off as much as Prometheus. Mm. I can't think of a single other film that sits so deeply in the bowels of my hatred a movie as that A movie that you would be like kicking the seat in front of you in the theater. Yeah, of anger again. That's I why I don't go to the theater. See, much. see, I didn't have necessarily those ex- expectations because for me, I mean, I was hoping Prometheus would be good. I didn't necessarily think that a lot of questions needed to be answered. No, certainly not. Um, that there were, I, I again, I still like the movie a bit more than you do. I think there are some significant problems to the movie. Uh, I still think that there are some things that are memorable in ways that are not disastrous or traumatic there actually that show that Ridley Scott had some ambition and knew what he was doing in a couple of moments um my expectations maybe in a way were colored differently when I saw the trailers for Alien Covenant my thought was oh okay so I guess now Ridley Scott is his his thought is now going into this oh so now I have to just do fan service like you know in the trailer they really emphasized like the xenomorph like butting his head up against yeah. the ship and it's like i'm back i yeah. kind of got that vibe too i felt like there would be a lot this was a would be a very fan servicey film it, but it, it was wasn't. a little bit well fan service nowadays i mean it's part of the whole reason we have these films isn't it yeah well well t- I mean, t- we're capitalizing on the success of a well of a beloved franchise fan service is part and parcel of that entire deal yeah. Yeah, well, what you were and, talking... But, you know, I'm sorry. you either mind it or you can look past it. Yeah. Um, but uh, actually, to take it back to Matt's point, um, I remember when we had him on for Rogue One, he actually had a bit of that experience where he liked that movie more than he expected to. Hmm. Because I guess he went into that, maybe he had been disappointed by Force Awakens, maybe there was some other reason, but then he came out and he was like, yeah, this movie was all right. Um but yeah, it's always tricky with these franchise movies. They, they especially, well, that one especially had the weight of the original director not returning for that many years. It's almost like uh, I don't know. What if like finally after all these years? Uh, I don't know if this is a good example, but um, George Lucas. No, no, not even George Lucas. I was thinking of something way out there. Tim Burton. Like, no. Return to Batman. No. <laughs> That's never going to happen. I know it'll never happen. Uh, when pigs fly, I guess. Um, yeah. Alejandro Jodorowsky. For years. I know that's a weird thing to jump to. All right, but I'm with you. El Topo. 
makes that movie in the early 70s or 1970 or around there. I believe, well, he, yeah. for years, there has been flowed around uh, a Sons of El Topo movie. Yeah. Imagine if he came back with that and it was a complete disaster. I and I, and I think there is in uh, what's it called Jodorowsky's Dune mm. in that opening shot of like shelves of scripts. Yeah. There is a script for the Sons of El Topo, mm-hmm. so it's something that exists in our space in our universe. That got close to being made too. Yeah. I, I don't know if like, you knew about so that. So many Jodorowsky films, like Marilyn so Manson, close. was supposed to be in that. That would have been silly. That would have been. I that would have been something. Marilyn though. Manson in <laughs> Marilyn Manson in Lost Highway is silly. Marilyn Manson, I forgot he was in that when I rewatched Lost and then Highway you months ago. That the film was set in the nineties. Yeah, well, he suddenly <laughs> pops up, and I'm like, "Oh, Marilyn Manson's in this? He's only in it for like a second, but it's still way too much. One second in a very long movie. Yeah, but you still remember it. Um, true. But true. anyway, thank you very much, Matt, for your questions and comments. And thank you, Pedro. Yes, that thank was, you, Pedro. You've, uh, you've... He's been a good fan. He he's followed us and retweeted us, and and uh, and for anybody else uh, who likes to listen and comment, and um, and you know, we we also get a lot of good retweets as well. Thank you for for all that, you guys. And uh, yeah, just keep listening. And if anything strikes your fancy, like our alien podcast, let us know. Um, as we've talked about before, uh, we have a lot of new reviews coming up next month, uh, cause we're going to be seeing Wonder Woman and the Mummy. So you can look forward to reviews of that, including a very special, uh, kind of package you could say with, uh, our review of the Mummy, which there's actually more to talk All about with the Mummy too. wrapped into one. But I, I don't know if we have time to talk about this just really fast. Did you hear that Universal announced their... Speaking of franchises, Universal's doing a new Monster Universe Oh, we've franchise. done that for a while. No, but they officially announced a bunch of stuff with it. Like, there was even... Like, you know that they're serious when they break out the, like, Vanity Fair or Variety photo that has, like, all the celebrities posing uh, information. Uh, well, we knew this was coming, but what, what did they announce? Because I didn't well, hear that. Yeah, well, they announced... Uh, they announced a number of things. So, of course, we know The Mummy's coming out. Please tell me they're not doing another Dracula film right away. I don't think so. Um, I think that it's a... If anything is as o- more overexposed than the Xenomorph, it's Dracula. <laughs> well, we... you, you can't escape Dracula. Like they're, and, you know, they're... In real life and in fiction. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so The Mummy, which... It's oh. coming out. Oh God! I didn't know it was being directed by Alex Kurtzman. Oh don't, no! Don't don't just, just move past. All it. right, all right. No, no. There. Well, I mean, I'm, I think at some point you can't not have Dracula. That, right. That's the downside. It's but um, uh, the Invisible Man. Okay. Will cool. be one thing. Johnny Depp will be attached to that. He's he was in that group photo. You could say so. In this group photo. Let me see if I can find this. The Invisible Man was pictured. We just didn't see him. Yeah. Um, new mo- new Universal monster movie uh, thing. Um, and, uh, and by the way, if you do want to check us out, uh, remember Facebook.com uh, slash uh, Wages of Cinema. Um, you know, and also Wages of Cinema at gmail.com. Um, yeah, you can actually even go to... I think there's a whole website set up for it called darkuniverse.com that's what they're calling it you know 
Marvel is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is the Dark Universe. Um, that's all they're calling it. I guess that's all they need to call it. And here's a picture where that I'm showing you. It's Tom Cruise, Russell Crowe. Javier Bardem is playing Frankenstein's monster. Ooh, and nice. then there's this other woman who I don't know. She's from The Mummy, I believe. Okay, and then, yeah, and Johnny Depp is the Invisible Man. Um, so that's all we have so far. All right. And I cool. think that they announced a Bride of Frankenstein movie, which I... Don't you, maybe you should do your Frankenstein movie first before you jump right to Bride of Frankenstein. Whatever. <laughs> Eh, screw it. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Who knows? This this thing might not even pan out. Uh, yeah, that's the thing, though. Like, these franchises, they get cocky. They think, oh, we're doing this franchise, like King Arthur. We're going to have this multi-episode franchise where we have a King Arthur movie, and then a Merlin movie, and a Guinevere movie, By and the a way, Lancelot movie. No, you aren't. <laughs> No, you are fucking not. Uh, that that movie bombed hard. Mm. That, that we we almost had kind of a preemptive Doctor Jack and Doctor Andrew episode <laughs> with our review of that. Um, Poor King Arthur. But uh, but yeah. So stay tuned for all those episodes and thank you for listening as always. They're unstoppable, and we've got to give it our best shot. Under the Marines, we're the Space Marines. Drake, Ripley, Apone. Bishop, and I'm Hicks, armed with the latest high-tech heavy metal. Queen alien breathing down your back? I blast her with the bug rocker. Button heads with a bull alien? Ripley frags him with the turbo torch. Alien invasion problem? Send in the Marines! Space Marine figures and alien figures, each sold separately. So, it's we have to some... talk. Yeah, let's talk about some things. Um... So we gotta talk about movies we watched, but we uh, watched movies according to a theme this time. Yeah, well, well, Andrew wanted to bring this back. Uh, th- we because Andrew is brilliant. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> if you flash back to um, episode forty-eight point three, I think we should do the mega happy podcast ending. Good call. Um, I love that. Um, we we talked about, uh, and this was right after around the time we saw Civil War. We decided to oh, highlight Civil War. Yes, indeed. So much. Yeah, Civil War is awesome. But anyway, but we didn't talk about that. We talked about uh, a selection of films that were the theme was non-Marvel DC related films, comic films, comic book adaptation movies. Uh, we might have made an exception here and there just because it ventured into discussion. Like I think we brought up, I think somehow V for Vendetta came into the conversation, even though that's a vertigo title vertigo dc uh but we tried to keep it to movies that have been adapted from comics that are not under the umbrellas of marvel and dc and they're out there and we decided that we wanted to revisit this idea right um and so yeah so I, and i think there's still more movies that we could that we could talk about so why don't you this. go first jack well uh, i actually wanted to highlight a movie that we it, it went by really briefly in our last in, in, when we did this podcast last time, and I wanted to just talk about it a little bit more, because uh, Men in Black was brought up really briefly in our in our podcast, and I just want to highlight that the there are three Men in Black movies. They vary in quality. The second movie isn't that good. Um, 
but I'm but I'm a fan of the first movie and as well the third movie. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw the third one. No. That was the one. I have not where... seen a Men, Men in Black film. Oh really? No. Oh, I think you know what. Now thinking about it, on our last podcast, you mentioned that you hadn't seen it, and I was like, oh, I should show you Men in Black. Flash forward one year later. <laughs> hey, Men in Black. Still haven't seen it. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, no, this movie's now... God. Uh, feeling old. This this was the last time... The, the original Men in Black was the last time I saw a film in a drive-in theater. Hmm. Like, Tell I, us about it, Grandpa. Yeah, hey, you could drive up and put a little speaker by your car. Did listen. you go no. there in your Model T? My Model T, and I made out with my chick, and we were necking until the fuzz came up behind us. No, um, <laughs> no, up in uh, I used to go on vacation to Cape Cod every year when I was a kid, and up in uh, Wellfleet. In Cape Cod, they have a, a drive-in movie theater. I hope it's still there. I, I have no idea. I haven't been up there literally in 20 years. It's in ruins, like the rest of your childhood. Uh, don't don't even joke. I love that drive-in. It was just, you know. I, I, I didn't mean that, but it yeah. was cool. Well, you know, well, it was, we didn't really have drive-ins around here. Like, maybe no. there is some drive-in theater in upstate New York or something. But around New Jersey, you just didn't have them growing up. So going to see a drive-in in a movie, you know, uh, so you know, like for as a kid, Forrest Gump, uh, Babe, um, of all things, Francis Ford Coppola's Jack, <laughs> I saw in a drive-in theater, um, and uh, and Men in Black was the last one, and I I quite like this movie. The thing that's cool about it is that you have, I, again, I don't know how faithful it is to the original comic book. I've heard it diverts quite a bit, um, but as far as a movie. It's just a really strong comedy that understands when to have a li- to make things grounded in some type of reality, so you're not going completely bonkers. But there's, you know, you just have a great team up with Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. Yeah. You get the best of both of them because Barry Sonnenfeld understood. Okay, Tommy Lee Jones, whether he understands this script, he seems like somebody who maybe would, maybe wouldn't. But he's just great at playing straight. Yeah. He's just the straight guy. Um, if he, if anything, he's only had some trouble in his career when he's tried to be, be over the top, like Two Face. He does or, not um, under siege. I have not seen actually. Under he's siege. good in under siege. Never mind. He's... See that that seems like a movie where he would be a good villain. Um, he is good in that film. Okay, it, it's just it's it's a little different from what we usually do because he's a little more unconventional in that. Yeah, film. but uh, but among also the 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 Will Smith movies that made him a star, like this might be my favorite one. Not Wild Wild West. Nah, the, the spider kind of went a little bit over the top for me. Um, and uh, <laughs> I don't need a mechanical spider right at this moment. Um, no, he's he's just he's great. Vincent D'Onofrio is in the movie, mm. and the less I say about his character, the better, if you ever decide to see it. Um, Maybe you should... Uh, wait, never mind. I'll, t- I'll bring this up later. Keep okay. On. But um, also, and then the third movie, I'd say that you could actually probably skip the second movie. I don't really think there's too much in that that you need to see. I only saw it the one time when it came out, and it's a really forgettable movie, kind of a disappointment. They, it was the kind of movie where, like in the first movie, for example, there's a whole gag involving a, uh, like a talking pug. 
And it's a very funny scene because Tom Lee Jones is interrogating the pug and he's doing it by like shaking the pug. And then as people are walking by in the street, Will Smith's like, no, 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 it's just he's, he's practicing his ventriloquist act or, you know, or the dog owes him money or <laughs> saying things like that. And, you know, and the pug, it's like a it's a scene of exposition where, you know, like a talking dog gives some vital information to the plot. Right. And it's, it, you know, that dog was a character in the Men in Black cartoon, which I did watch as a kid. Yeah, I, I knew people who weren't big fans of the movie, but liked the cartoon. And they, I think their only reason was, I like the aliens. Also, we were kids and we'd watch any cartoon. Yes. Yeah. I, I Just for give some, it to us. Serve for some up. reason, I didn't really watch the cartoon. Um, I you don't were know. a little older than I was at Maybe. the time. So yeah. you might have grown out of That it. might have been my threshold around then. But uh, but no, it's just a very creative movie as far as that goes. And I'm going to bring up Barry Sonnenfeld again in a second after uh, whatever Andrew brings up next. But the third movie I just want to mention too is quite good. Uh, in that one, they introduced time travel. Um, I, I guess Tommy Lee Jones isn't in the movie as much because Will Smith goes back in time and, um, he's yeah. replaced with, um, Oh, you going to try to guess it? No, no. I know who it is. I just yeah. can't Well, think it of was out five years ago. Josh Brolin. Yes. Good. Good call. Um, yeah. And he is excellent at being young Tommy Lee Jones as you might hope for. Um, it's the kind of movie that again, it's set in 1969. Uh, Andy Warhol pops up. In a scene, uh, it's a it's a little bit sixties, but it doesn't go full on like an Austin Powers thing. Uh, it tries to keep a handle on the period, but it understands it, and that that's a the fun period movie. colors the film. It doesn't yeah. dominate. The it's film. a fun movie, and it also is about something. It's about uh, uh, reflecting on your past and mistakes you've made and things like that. So Not the third me. movie, I haven't made any mistakes as far as we know, except seeing Prometheus. <laughs> Well, he didn't know that would be a mistake. Um, but yeah, I recommend the first and the third Men Black movies. The second one, uh, like Michael Jackson pops up in that, and not even a, just because. Sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so Men in Black. I, I wanted to bring that back up because I feel like that didn't get enough of its due. Um, if you're the, not, the, if you're not sure if you've, uh, if you uh, like this Will Smith kid, uh, give it another shot. Yeah, might, he uh, he is really funny in it. He's just on sharp as a sharp as hell. Has great reaction timing with Tommy Lee Jones. They're just really great comedic moments where they'll like the camera will stay on a sheen like like for example like Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith will like pull over this guy. And, they, like, they have questions for him. And in the back, his wife is in labor, about to give birth. And so Tommy Jones asks the guy to get out of the car, and he's talking to the guy a little bit of ways. And Tommy Jones tells Will Smith, okay, so you handle the birth. It's like, what? <laughs> and you see... I, so in, And in the foreground, Tommy Lee Jones and this guy are talking. It's like kind of like a boring... It seems like a boring conversation... And in the background, you just see this gigantic tentacle wrap around Will Smith, slamming him into the car. And this is part of the labor. And then finally... I, that partnership in that film, it's its a combination of several effective partnerships in like cop movies. Yeah, and, yeah. And it, in buddy it plays movies, on that. It, it's, it's the new guy and the veteran. It's, 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 it's the it's, black guy and yeah. the white guy. It's the young guy and the old guy. It's, it's but a, it's all rolled up into one. It's a good... It's and, a it's, good uh, and it's so much more jarring because it's the situation of a regular guy coming into an agency which keeps knowledge of aliens away from everybody. Yeah, well, it, it, it has... 
it's not as good as what it's not as good as what I'm about to compare it to, but it has a touch of the Roger Rabbit mm. type of thing to it. And both movies are produced by Spielberg. That might just be a coincidence, but you know, you have that mashup of detective movie and cartoons. Here you have a mashup of buddy cop movie, alien invasion, <laughs> destroy the world. Right. And it works. One of the, one uh, one of the the key mashups. Yeah, key mashups. They also by the way, just one last thing, they use New York City locations really well. Uh there are these there used I don't know if they're still there, but there used to be like these There used to be these two towers in well, New York City. Oh. No, I was about to say there are two like saucers oh, really? in Queens. Yeah. I forget what where they are exactly. Like they were in Flushing, I think. Uh so hopefully somebody listening to this can correct me. And they actually use that in the movie because, like, the, it, it involves the climax. I'm not going to spoil it, but again, just at some point, check out Man in Black. So, uh, what did you see? Well, I decided to focus my efforts on comic strip movies, mm. movies based upon newspaper comics. Interesting. Okay. I did a few of those last year with Flash Gordon yeah. and uh, other things. But uh, here's what I came... Uh, the first one I want to talk about is the Peanuts movie. Yeah, which I, I saw in the theater and I might have talked about briefly on the podcast. I was a big Peanuts fan back when I was a teenager. I bought Me whatever too. books I could, I could read and I, I read through decades of Charles Schultz's work. And this... not, not the very first cinematic adaptation of Peanuts, though. Technically, no. No. Well, I'm talking about, you know, there are there have been countless TV specials. I mean, we've literally had It's Arbor Day, Charlie Brown. Really? <laughs> I think there is an Arbor Day, Charlie Brown special. I'm not sure about that, <laughs> but we'll get back to I'll that do research. Time. But um, but I the big one for me was uh, uh, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, which is where the one where he goes to the spelling bee. Did you ever see that? That? Wait. I don't think that's the Really? Same it, I hope it has that title. I know what you're talking oh, about. Oh, a boy named Charlie yeah, Brown. There we I'm go. sorry. There's you're a good a, man there. named Charlie Brown is, uh, is the stage play. But it's also it also got a, made into an animated special. But the Peanuts movie... Yeah, but this one, the new one. Right. It's interesting. Not just from writing, which is what I, what I usually focus on, but yeah. from a visual point of view. They've managed to take two-dimensional characters. Yeah. And they've rendered them in a very convincing three-dimensional art style. Yes. And the world around them has three dimensions, and they look like they're in a, 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 a uh, an interesting location. Yeah. But still, they maintain the integrity of that two-dimensional design in a way that I can't quite figure out. It's but it's fascinating to me how they how they've made this well, film look. Well, well, it's kind of like uh, in a way how South Park. You know, tries to have that look of we're we're cut out, uh, we're we're cutouts and we're animated, but it's all in a computer. Yeah, but but that all of that exists on a two-dimensional plane. Yes, which is not difficult to understand. It's you, it's animated in a computer now, but it still looks like it's paper cutout roots. Yeah, these characters have the design yes. of their two-dimensional oh, comics, but they don't necessarily. But they're not confined to two dimensions. No, they're not. Yeah. And I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what they did, but I like it. Yeah. They, they, it's, it looks great. Yeah. And it, it um, I don't think the movie is quite up there with my absolute favorite Peanuts stuff. Um, the one thing that drags it down a tiny bit for me were 
some of the things with what they call the Red Baron, mm. the, when Snoopy has his little dream sequences, they're fun, yeah. but I feel like they're a little bit of a distraction because the Charlie Brown story is maybe just so rich. I thought about that. I think the thing, the, the thing about Peanuts, though, that's always been interesting is that Charlie Brown is just a regular boy, but he, he yeah. has a very dull, prosaic life, and his life is full of failure. And you compare that to how Snoopy lives. Mm. He has all these flights of fancy. Everybody really likes him in in very strange ways, too. It's like yeah. he, he puts on, like, sunglasses and, and a shirt, and he's just, <laughs> it's just like, oh, hey, it's Snoopy, whatever. And everyone just really likes him. And for some reason, he gets mail from people <laughs> around the world. So he, he's, and like, it's like, he's like the Fonz. Char- yeah, Charlie Brown can't get a Christmas card, but Snoopy's just, like, living it up around Christmas. And it's... <laughs> oh no no that so that, that, I, that part's fine so i think you always have to contrast between the normalcy of charlie brown's life with the absolute fantastical uh, oh oh absolutely fantasy that snoopy has yeah and if you, and part of snoopy's whole character is the struggle he has with the red baron which is was present throughout the comics uh but shoot okay, uh that's fine. but uh it, it, I agree with you that those sequences are a little distracting. Because it's, maybe it's because the they're just a little long. Maybe, I don't think they're too long. It's just that it's it's very different from everything around us. Yeah, it's because it, the rest of the style of the movie is pretty realistic. And Although, then you have these scenes which... Uh, those those felt like the scenes where they decided to try to use the 3D animation the most. Yeah. Which is fine. Maybe, Although, maybe it's just... Maybe kids will really enjoy that more and I just might now be more into the Charlie Brown stories more than the Snoopy stuff. Whereas like, and don't get me wrong. Like I think back to uh, a boy named Charlie Brown and you know, you have Charlie Brown, uh, um, you have like this great scene where Linus is kind of stumbling around New York city. Cause he can't find his blue blanket and he's just whining like, where I don't see it. Where's my blanket? Isn't here. And then Snoopy goes onto the ice and has this really wonderful ice skating scene yeah. that just comes out of nowhere. That, that, that's the kind of thing I like when it comes to Snoopy. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to say no, it you're, you're, bogs the film down. No, I'm just kind of pulling out my one little problem with what is otherwise a really great movie. I still think they made the right choice. Like the red Baron flies a normal plane, but Snoopy just has his doghouse. Yeah. Like, like it always was. But I mean, think about the way they've portrayed that in other Charlie Brown specials. Yeah. In the Halloween one, they have a thing, thing with Snoopy and the red Baron, yeah. but it's all just like a, sh- a frame, a shot of him on his doghouse and you see nothing else. Yeah. There was no way they were going to do that mm. in a film this big. Yeah. But uh, and there were lots of little touches, lots of little callbacks to other Charlie Brown specials, uh, lots of little references to certain co- to certain strips that have become famous. I have found I found myself laughing quite a bit through a number of moments of this movie hmm. too. Like there was one moment involving uh, like I think it's Patty. Is that the girl? Yeah. Um, she gives I think Charlie Brown some advice at one point. That I, I know, I think you know what I'm talking Leo's about. Leo's Toy Store by Warren Peace. <laughs> yeah, that's just like that's the kind of wit that you just don't get that much in kids' First movies anymore. There was war, then there was peace. <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah, 
Exactly. The overall tone of the film doesn't quite match up with what the comics were all about, like hmm. especially at the end. But I was able to let it slide because they had put so much effort into rendering this world in a very interesting way and and digging b- back so far into the 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 franchise's history. I mean, because Charlie Brown is this franchise now. Yeah. And there's so much about it that which permeates our culture that I I didn't mind that too much. No, but also looking in a larger context, sometimes you have properties and certain titles that were part of not not even our use our parents uh childhood hmm. um and you know like something like rocky and bullwinkle or uh which was a movie which was a thing that exists but uh, or even like the flintstones or something and it's at, <laughs> it's adapted to the screen and you could feel like did the people who made this did they really watch the show or, or the series, or whatever it is did they that have they're a, adapting. Did they have an understanding of yeah, what Yeah, and a lot of times, about. it doesn't feel like they do. Like, uh, that was one of the things that, um, Jendi Tarkovsky, I don't know if you'd seen his Popeye's pitch? No. But he was almost gonna make a Popeye's movie, or Popeye movie. Popeye's is the chicken restaurant. Yeah, yeah I know, we just, we just hated Popeye's. <laughs> anyway, Popeye... Um, was going to be a movie, and I saw he cut kind of a demo reel for that movie. Sure. And screen test. Or yeah, something. screen test. It looked well, like whatever it they call been, them. It could have been. It looked like it could have been a fun movie, maybe for kids looking for eye candy. It didn't look like Popeye. You could tell though the Peanuts movie. The the people behind it really love Peanuts, mm. and they wanted to try to put that into this movie. Whether it exactly hit the tone of again I haven't read all the strips to me it did hit the tone of the of of the specials and the shows that I've watched over the over the years I would agree except for the ending of the film mm, oh you were with with the girl yeah but uh yeah, but I, I still, hope I hope they make another one I wouldn't mind seeing it again so it's uh, it's okay yeah uh, yeah sure. making another one would be good all right um I'd like just like to bring up um talking about comic strips I know we a while back talked about Adam's Family Values. Yes. Um, I'd like to recommend both Adam's Family movies. Uh, Anna, did you ever see the first one? I've seen the end of the first one. Okay. Um, well, That was a long time ago, though. Well, I would say at some point, check out the first one, too. I know you said you enjoyed the second one. That yeah. was also by Barry Sonnenfeld, who did Men in Black and Men in Black 3 and, cool. and, and that. Um, and worth repeating that, it is basically a comic strip film yeah the the yeah. adams uh, the the adams family was originally a comic strip it, it, a lot of people think drawn it, it's, by charles adams yes. that's where they get their name yeah it, well, it's, well it's kind of like how the well they don't matt groining the simpsons that that's not where he got a name but there were characters in the simpsons that groining took so that might be the closest comparison you could make in popular culture today hmm um, but, uh, but yeah, Charles Adams drew the Adams Family strips. I haven't really read those so much, but I figure that... I've tried to find a book of them, but, um... It's a little hard to find. I also don't have a lot um, of money. But, uh, and then, you know, they had, of course, the TV show, which is what everybody remembered, uh, from that. Did you know there was an Adams Family animated series? And not just Vaguely. The, and not just the one where they meet Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I feel like there was. Was it drawn in the style of Beetlejuice? Do you remember the in Beetlejuice memory, cartoon? It seems a lot. Like you might have been too. You might have been too. Were you too young ago. for the Beetlejuice cartoon? No, I remember that vaguely. Yeah, the Beetlejuice cartoon I watched quite a bit when I was a kid. Uh, I don't remember the Adams Family cartoon though. But but the first two movies, um, 
I'm now. I, I'm, uh, I, I remember years ago, the Nostalgia Chick had a, vi- a couple videos about these movies. She said that sometimes you do have to kind of reckon with the fact that these two movies, the Adams Family movies, the plot is sometimes something that's a little standard. Mm-hmm. Like in the first Adams Family movie, the plot of that you could criticize it for being hackneyed. I don't have a problem with it so much. It, like the plot of the first Adams Family is um, this other uh, this this woman has a uh, her son who is actually Uncle Fester, but you know he through a lot of things I can't really explain right now. He's there, there's going to be this plan to deceive the Adams family by pretending that this guy is Uncle Fester, even though he's pretending to be him, even though the Adams, even uh, it's hard to explain. Um, See the movie. Yeah, but the point is Christopher <laughs> Lloyd is Uncle Fester and he's amazing. Everything around the plot is great. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, you have Angelica Houston as Morticia Adams, Raul Julia as Gomez, oh, and they are just so Angelica great together. Houston. Yeah, Angelica Houston, this movie, uh, talk about somebody who completely gets the tone of what sh- what they're acting in. Um, like like, uh, like, uh, like the witches. <laughs> Remember oh, Angelica witches. Houston? Oh, witches? God. Well, that was a, that, that's a different Angelica Houston performance. But still, she got that. Oh, yeah, she yeah, was, for sure. She was spot on in that film. Yeah. And... I, I know she's done... Millions of other things. She's an Oscar-winning actress. We know that. <laughs> We're just like mooning over We're... her in two Adams Family films and The Witches, but which she's... is kind of a low-rent adaptation it, of Roald Dahl. It does, but it does take a certain skill. We are... Like it does take a certain skill, though, to play deadpan really well, mm. and that's what she does in those movies. Like there's a scene Adams Family Values where uh, she's talking to Gomez, and I love the first scene with her. Like, uh, what was that? Gomez, I have to tell you something. I'm having a baby right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, they ha- show her in the gurney, and she's just like, oh, Gomez. And, like, she's just... And he's she... like, are you in pain, darling? He's like, excruciating. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, there's another scene I just remember where they're kind of starting to seduce each other a little bit, and she's like, the old ball and chain. And he's like, forever. <laughs> she's like, I'll get them. <laughs> Julia too. Christina Ricci is great in the movies mm. too, uh, especially the second one. Yeah. Her whole speech about Thanksgiving is just for God's sake. Everyone is great in that film. Yeah, and then, and then in the first movie, that was how I got introduced to uh, Dan Hedaya, who is a really good character actor. I'm a fan of. Um, yeah, and the fir- I would say the first movie again. Once you get past the plot, which is not that great. There's a lot of good stuff in that movie right. that you can really soak up because in that one you get a lot of too like somehow through a number of circumstances that I won't get into they the Adams family loses their house and so they have to get some suburban home and you know interact with humanity. Well, that was kind of the original premise of the Adams family comic okay it's like you have the regular world yeah and all of a sudden you plop down this crazy looking family yeah. in the middle of that and that was it, that was what that that whole comic strip was about yeah it, it's it's almost shocking that tim burton didn't make these movies i guess Barry maybe Sonnenfeld, he thought it was a, maybe he thought it was a little too on the nose maybe uh maybe you could say though eventually he might have come around uh when he made dark shadows that might have been his attempt to do a 
Adam's Family movie. Not not that great either, but uh, well, but yeah, I just wanted to highlight Jason that when we great. when we talk about comic strip adaptations, those two are some of the better ones. Hmm. Uh, and of course, as, as you know, Adam's Family Values is a very witty movie that has just uh, you know just so many great lines. Um, so yeah, so what's next? Uh, so Dick Tracy. Did we? Oh, did, we didn't talk about this last time. No. I feel like we've talked about it at some other point on the. I feel on the show. like we have never talked about it. Ever. Really? Huh. Yes. Right, well, I should. I should mention. I'm a big I, fan. I was a big fan of this when I was a kid. I saw it like on TV once, and I was like hooked, and I watched it a whole bunch of I, times after I got the, yeah. the the video. And this is my first time returning to it after a long time. It's been a while since I. I saw it in the theater. I think when it came out, like opening weekend, maybe. I don't. I don't remember. Have a great memory of seeing it then, but I, I revisited it about eight or nine years ago, mm-hmm. and I think I. I remember just feeling like it still worked. I feel like this is technically one of the most fascinating films ever made. Okay. I but think think about like who is in this film. Oh God. Warren Beatty. The- Al Pacino is the lead, and he directs. Al Pacino plays big plays big boy Caprice. You've got Dustin Hoffman. You got James Caan, Madonna, Mandy Patinkin is in. This. I forgot about. He him. played the piano player. He and Madonna have a duet in this film. Mm. The songs are written by uh, Stephen Sondheim, and Danny Elfman does the score. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is, and that's. That's a crazy amount of talent for one film, let alone a Dick Tracy adaptation. And, and shot by Vittorio Storaro, the cinematographer of Apocalypse Now. There, see? There, see? Yeah. Well, we're in the mood. And this has got really great makeup in it and mm-hmm. really great sets. It's like one time there was this one shot, someone's hiding. They're hiding behind a red trash can. Yeah. And for some reason, like... I'm just fascinated. I'm like, that trash can is red, and I didn't even notice. What's going on? I have a random piece of trivia for about this movie before we get back into some talking about it. I I heard about this because I just heard some other podcast about Madonna and Warren Beatty. You know who this was originally go- going to direct this? Oh. Scorsese. And then he went to make Goodfellas, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I read... I, I have to admit, I looked at the IMDb page after this, and it feels like this was passed around so many different directors who just passed on it and then went to do something more awesome. Mm. And I think Tim Burton was offered mm. a chance to direct it, but I think he turned it down, and then he made Edward Scissorhands. Huh. Well, well, this came out... It's it important came out to, just after Batman. Well, it's important to note, yeah, this came out a year after Batman. Um, I mean, there's a part of me that, that kind of wonders if maybe... Uh, Beatty and Nicholson, you know, they, they have had like a pretty close friendship over the years. I wonder if maybe Beatty was jealous of Nicholson's uh, success and just wanted to try to recreate it for himself. I don't think so, because from all accounts, this seems like a real... What uh, what is the what is the word for it? This... Well, I meant more in the financial sense, maybe not. Maybe, so but I mean, what I, what I mean is this feels like a real... Uh, artistic no no uh, no what is the thing where it's like you've been a fan of this all your life and then you get a chance to make the passion movie. project yeah this feels like a from everything i've heard this was a real passion project yeah. for warren Beatty because he grew up with dick tracy comics sure he was a big fan and he was like and i think it's like they offered him the chance to direct it and he's like okay but i also want to play the lead 
Mm. And they said, sure, because they didn't have a lead at the time. Even though <laughs> everyone he, was even, passing on it. Yeah, even though he is 20 years older than Madonna, why not? It works. He looks like Dick Tracy. Yeah, he has the square jaw. I feel like they didn't do too much makeup on him. No, I mean, he looks like, well, he looks like Warren Beatty. He's never going to look like anybody else. I, but, you I've know, also seen the actress but he works. in the movie, too. Is like not, not the not-Madonna character. Tess. I've seen her in other the things, Tess character, too. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, all the makeup is fantastic. Al Pacino, like, signed on to this, and he designed a lot of the makeup okay. for it. And it's like, so many people, like, there are people who have, like, crazy-shaped heads, and, like, people who are, like, you know, it's Dick Tracy, so everyone looks is, crazy. Al Pacino is going to town so hard on this movie. Yeah, and I feel like he's the one who works the hardest on this film. Yeah. And and I this would be a great film if the plot wasn't so slight. It's the plot's all right. It kind of works, but it, it doesn't really push itself, it, especially in the middle. It's like it kind of floats around, things are happening, and but it loses a lot of the thrust. Like, there's not much thrust from the beginning. It's like hmm. we basically just get the situation. Dick Tracy's trying to put away all the gangsters. The gangsters are trying to do crimes. And then it kind of wanders a little bit until we move further along the film. And then it starts to really speed up because stuff is happening. Yeah. But it, it and there's not a there's not enough action in the film. There's yeah. there's one big action set piece at the end, which I still like to watch because it's basically a giant gun down with Tommy Guns. I feel like that it's, was I feel like that was also Trying to not not necessarily top, but doing another type of variation on the climax of Batman, because didn't that also end with the villain falling into like a giant? Uh, yeah, but that's falling? but that's not the most exciting part. The, the most exciting part for me is the part before that, where oh, all the sure. gangsters are trying to escape the building. Yeah, and it's kind of like Bonnie and Clyde, but with no squibs and no yeah. and no uh, and no blood. It's like the PGist. Gun yeah. down, you could have the, the fascinating thing about this movie, too. You talk about the style. I feel like this, I have to think that Robert Rodriguez watched this before making Sin City. This I feel feels like, like the, the, the father to Sin City. I, I'd say the crow is the father to Sin City. You don't really. think that this has some influence on Sin City? I mean, they fit nicely into similar slots. A, a the way that, that it's so place, stylized, a, a stylized world, one of which is devoid of color, one of which is the most colorful thing you've ever seen this side of a bag of Skittles. Yeah. And I, you know, I can't help but feel those are two very similar projects, but it, but Dick Tracy is not gritty. Dick Tracy is not, it, Dick Tracy is sentimental and it's also very silly. Oh no, no, no. And, I, I and meant, it's meant yeah. to be. Those are its, and those are its strengths. Sin City is none of those things. Sin City mm-hmm. has much more in common with The Crow, which which I think also carries over its, for its style. Okay. Uh, I, I think I said this even last year. I, I felt like The Crow, after I watched that, was the genesis for Sin City. Mm. And uh, Okay. But getting back to Dick Tracy, I mean, I, I just wish the plot had been... Had been a little had been a little meatier if it yeah. i wish that it had more more action in it I mean, dick van dyke is in this too oh god yeah uh it's so many people i mean I've i'm forgetting this. probably half of the awesome people who are in this film yeah well Warren and, Beatty can call in a lot of favors when he yeah. wants to and this was also good for him though i think because he the movie he had previous to this was uh ishtar mm-hmm. also with dustin hoffman yeah and uh it's like all right all right dustman you dragged me into that 
you got to come over and help me. And Dick Tracy was a success. Yeah. In the, in the box office. I don't, I just don't think uh, it's, I don't think it's had the staying power. That, of a Batman. Well, Batman is a giant thing. Dick Tracy has been less than relevant for decades. Mm. Batman has always been around. Maybe it's because though it, yeah, there was, you know, you could have, you know, I think, I'm sure when I was a kid, Dick Tracy became a thing maybe for a year or two. But, you know, it's sometimes those franchises need to have other things connected to them. Like Batman had the animated series. Ninja Turtles had a lot of its own universe. Batman, you know, Batman had an entire yeah. six decades of comics. But, but, but I think, it. yeah, whereas Dick Tracy... There was a comic strip, and I think there were serials, but it didn't. Yeah. Really, but it didn't stay in the public consciousness the way that Batman did. So yeah, that I might mean, be after... why you have a Dick Tracy movie and people enjoy it, but it doesn't really become a thing that a franchise, I should yeah. say. I mean, the Adams Family movies were very good. That didn't bring back the Adamses. No, it, it gave us. It, it brought us a. It brought us a, an, an animated series. But not one that yeah. you or I remember. Yeah. But it could also show that maybe there are limitations to Dick Tracy, too. I don't know. You don't think that there could have been, like... Because, you know, again, Dick Tracy, there are so many characters in that movie. Yeah. It's like if they had a sequel, you know, the only way that maybe that could have gone is if maybe they got went the other way and just had one villain. But They tried to focus on one villain in Al Pacino. But they got so many other characters in there that well, it's not just Al Pacino. No, it's a and uh, but you know, I, I think it really just comes down to the fact that the story is insubstantial. Yeah, it's and more about it the style, and it didn't deliver on the action that it needed. And but you know, it's stylish and it's got so much talent behind it. I mean, it's worth watching just to see what it was all about. If you like art, if you like production design and art design and costume design and makeup, it. it it is an essential movie to watch. Mm. Um, but yeah, Dick Tracy. Also one of the crappiest video games to ever come from a movie. I don't know that you... is not. That is one thing that is not Warren Beatty's fault. No, no, no. I know it's not. But now whenever I think of the of Dick Tracy, I think of James Rolfe's review well, of Dick Tracy, well, well, which he... was probably my favorite uh, angry video game nerd review. <laughs> because that's the one where he just... Has a complete nervous breakdown over the lack of uh, of um, continues. Well, I keep don't... in keep in mind that you haven't played your Platoon NES game yet. I no no I did. You did. I tried it out. Oh. It's it's a generic action game. Oh. Um no Dick yeah so just look up Angry Bill Game Nerd Dick Tracy you'll see what I mean. All right um I wanted to bring up a movie, Tank Girl. Have you ever seen Tank Girl? I s no. <laughs> I, I it's been a while since I've seen this, but I wanted to highlight it only because it's kind of fallen. That's another movie like Dick Tracy that well, not even like Dick Tracy because Dick Tracy at least you know that was a hit. Tank Girl I think kind of came and people were like, "What Ice T is a giant kangaroo? What the hell is? <laughs> yeah, All right. there are kangaroo people in that movie." Um, like Warriors of Virtue. Yeah, well, this was adapted from a comic book by Jamie Hewlett, mm. who was he's best known now because of uh, uh, he he designed all the characters for uh, the Gorillas, uh, the music group. Cool. And of course, you know those are all great. I haven't really read too much of the original comic. I think that there are some people who are definitely not fans of this movie. I I watched it without having that much knowledge of it. I guess. 
I knew it was a thing maybe when I was a kid, but I just didn't, maybe for some reason or another, I didn't watch it. But when I finally got around to it, um, I, I quite liked it. I thought it was kind of joyous. Um, you know, it was just really goofy comic book fun that is just really out there. And also uh, our, our favorite, our favorite character actor, Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. It's, it's a bit, I could say it's a guilty pleasure, but Mr. yeah. Mr. Caligula himself. Yeah. I mean, there's Malcolm McDowell, uh, Iggy Pop. I mentioned Ice-T as, as him. Um, it's, it's basically Lori Petty is like a junkyard Gwen Stefani. <laughs> From No Doubt. And I mean No Doubt in the 90s. I'm not talking about Gwen Stefani now. I don't know music. Um, also, Naomi Watts is in the movie. This huh. was like one of her first real movies. Um, and I just... Uh, it, it It's it's something that I would pop in on like a sick day from work. You know, <laughs> you have a lot to smile at. You It's... The, the production design isn't too tacky or eye-catching on a fairly low budget, but the actors are all having a ball playing like these odds and ends of good guys and kangaroos and villainous war mo- water mongers. I almost said war mongers. It's all about water. Um, Just like Mad Max. Yeah, a little bit. Um, that was what Mad Max was about, right? Yeah. McDowell in the movie, too, he's the villain. He's like a mad commander of a corporation. And I think in my original review, I said he's like... He was a subtle ham bone. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I, I don't want to have too much more to say about this. Like, I I do, I would defend this movie just because I, I think it's, you don't watch it expecting Dick Tracy, for example. I have a question for you. Sure. What is your opinion of Naomi Watts? I like her a lot. What I, I think she's a really talented actress. She occasionally will pick the wrong movie as a lot of actors do. I mean, I've, I've had, uh, just last year I saw her in something that was among the very worst films I've seen in a long time, uh, shut in. Mm. Um, but, but, uh, you know, I, I generally think she's pretty great. I, there's something very weird about Naomi Watts. Is it because when she looks too much like Nicole Kidman? No. When she's, when she's in the right role, she works fantastically. I think about this with Mulholland Drive. Yeah. There's something about Naomi Watts which yeah. screams this sort of idealized yeah. personality. Yeah, yeah. I know Some, sometimes a little artificial. The way she's so earnest in Mulholland Drive really fits that part. Yeah. Now, this also plays well in a film like Funny Games. Hmm. Where she's supposed to be basically a wife. Yeah. And she comes off as, like, not too distinct, but, you know, identifiably, like, the the wife. She's waspy, thing. blonde, white lady. Right. And in a way that works for, for the American version of Funny Games because it's like you get to see this sort of ideal, somewhat over-idealized couple suffer. And that yeah. works very well for that film. Mm-hmm. But it seems like outside of that, where she has to be playing this sort of... Where she, like like you said, the waspy blonde haired uh, woman. Yeah. When she's outside of that, she doesn't seem to work very well. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Well, so you didn't like her in King Kong? Well, she doesn't work too. Well. She's she's fine in King she's Kong. Fine. I think she brings a lot of emotion to that. She's movie. fine in King Kong, but not as she doesn't work. It's like. It's like she's playing a character 
who's supposed to be playing a 1930s movie heroine in King Kong. Hmm. She doesn't seem like a person who has an identity outside of that. It's complicated for me. But I feel like there's a sort of artificiality to her that works in the right situation, but in other situations, it's not great. She seems a little too earnest, and when she's really playing that up for the, for the, for the story, then it works. Okay. That, that, it's hard for me fair. to explain. That's fine. Um... So but fun. yeah, but 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 she's fun in Tank Girl. She's also not blonde. She actually has black hair. Well, there's the problem. Yeah. Why don't you just change your hair once in a while? God. <laughs> um, oh, by but, the way, know. she she pops up on the new uh, Twin Peaks. Oh, cool. As well. Um, I know you have a movie to talk about. One more for sure, right? Well, I have two more movies. Oh, two more. Okay. Well, one of them. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, go ahead. Let's not move too far ahead. Uh, Prince Valiant. All right, well, what is this? All right, Prince Valiant. Prince Valiant is one of the great granddaddies of comic strips. Okay. It, it, it's, it was a big adventure thing, and it's a comic, and it still continues today. It was, uh, it was first drawn back in the 1930s. And it's basically about this... Uh, the, comic, the comic strip was about this this prince who lived in the time of king arthur and he basically has a whole bunch of adventures with arthur and his knights and he just goes to do his own thing and he has awesome adventures but this was a movie back in the 1950s starring uh robert wagner as prince valiant wow robert wagner and he seems a little too old for the role (laughs) a good old number two (laughs) here's the thing he's not the only guy in this because you also have sterling hayden oh boy as Sir Gawain. In, in this... I really love Sir it's really It's really weird, because when he first shows up, he has this weird way of talking that doesn't quite fit. He sounds like Sir Gawain, the knight from Canada, mm. for some reason. But <laughs> as you go through the movie, his voice kind of grows on you, and you're like, oh, this guy's cool. But then it's also got James Mason in it. and So Prince Valiant is what you said the movie's name is? Prince Valiant. You okay. Know, you know that comic strip, right? You no. read you read papers all the time. You 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 catch up on the comics. I section. never read this. You've never heard of this? No. Jeez. I, I don't know. It just passed me by. You're you're off the podcast. Damn it. Oh, I, I'm, I'm looking it up the now. Equipment home with me. Directed by Henry Hathaway. Right. Um. But it's also so, got it's, so it's a King Arthur comic. A very early performance by Janet Leigh. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the cast now. Yeah, Sterling Hayden, um, Deborah Paget. Whoever that is, Victor McClag, Victor McClagan, McClaglin as Boltar. Uh, do you know who he is? No. All right. Well, he was in a bunch of movies in the '30s. Not not so much the '50s. Uh, Anything I would know. Uh, The Quiet Man. Okay. Uh, she wore a yellow ribbon. Um, he's a character actor. Yeah, he's basically a character actor. I'm I'm just looking him up in a bunch of things. Yeah, I I barely know this guy. But uh, so was the movie any good? It is good. You kind of look past all the kind of little flaws of, of the actors. You know, Sterling Hayden eventually grows on you. Yeah. Uh, Robert Wagner grows on you after a little while because he, you know, even though he doesn't quite look the part, he looks a little too old for it, and it's kind of ridiculous when you see him in the kind in the wig they dress him up in. But he's, but still, you you, re- you really ease into this film, and it's kind of a run of the mill uh, medieval. You know, medieval period piece movie, nothing spectacular, but it does end really strongly with a with a really good battle scene. 
It's funny that you say Robert Ragnar was too old for this, though, because like, he was only in his, like, 20s. Yeah, but he has this look about him. You remember, you know how, like, Peter Cushing, the joke about him is he was born old? Yeah. Also, like, Tommy Lee Jones. You know, mm. no matter how young you look at them, you can only see them as, like, this clearly looks like the person, the face of a person who's, like, a few years older. Yeah. Robert Wagner has that same sort of face. He oh, doesn't sure. come off as boyish, and he doesn't come off as youth- youthful. He's handsome, but he's not youthfully handsome. I got what you mean. Yeah. And I, he does a decent job. James Mason is great as Sir Breck, the villain. I, who else is James Mason going to be? In of this course, kind of James film? Mason is this man. Yeah. Right, David Bowie. <laughs> and he. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. It's all right. All right. I, I, you're just lucky I haven't now, subjected you, you to my James Mason. Now, had you read any of the comics before? Yeah. I've, and... read, uh, I've read some of the, the first ones, and it's a really interesting comic. It, it's as a, it's drawn as a by... strip, though. How how does that work, though, to tell, like, this? does it tell, like, a long story? Is it, like, little incidents? Yeah. I, but here's the thing. The first Prince Valiant comic strips were an entire page long. Oh, okay. In full color. Huh. They, I've read them. They've reprinted them in like books this size. It's like two feet tall. I, I, you can't see my hands. But they are giant, like broadsides of comics, and they're so colorful, and there's so much action going on. They're, they're created by a man named Hal Foster. Okay. Uh, who was a tremendous artist. He had drawn Tarzan comics. He was great with adventure. And he. And it's a really exciting comic, and it, it took. It, all these characters from Arthurian romance and all, and all this epic action. It's a really fun, fun series to read. Okay. This film captures a little of that. All right. I mean, but it's still, but it ramps up as it goes. Okay. It starts off a little lackluster, but it gets, but it really ends on a high note mm. and, uh, you know, decent. Okay. All right. Not, you know, not not as good as my favorite, you know, Knights of the Round Table, but yeah. you know, it's a uh, still you could you could find worse ways to spend your day. Yeah, well, and we're going to talk about another King Arthur type movie in another podcast uh, coming up. Too. Another episode. Yeah, yes. but um, I also want to bring up one more. Um, I forget. Did I bring up Fritz the Cat recently? No, okay, good, good, good. You mean within the last two months? Or something, yeah. I'm trying to recall, well, well, no, I bring it up because I got to see Fritz the Cat on a big screen about a month and a half ago. Cool. Um, now, and now, I had seen it years before, but I hadn't seen it in quite a while. So, and, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Is it as, in your opinion, mm. is Fritz the Cat as bad as people say? I liked it more seeing it this time around. I, really? and, but With some qualifiers. All right. What are the qualifiers here? Prince Fritz the Cat is good, but you there is some context to the time that it was made. There it is very freewheeling. It is very uh, I also I do have one legitimate kind of story complaint that at near the end of the film I was hoping maybe for something that was going to happen that Fritz is involved with like this plot involving uh, blowing up some power plant or something. And I was hoping that he was going to go in one direction. Instead, the movie took him in another area, which didn't feel as satisfying. But the thing about this movie that works for me, especially the first 20 minutes, it's just really funny. It's just, I, I again, and I've heard uh, Robert Crumb 
has has come out over the, over the years and said, "Oh, this this was trash. This was such a bad adaptation of my comics." I and I think he actually killed Fritz in his comics not too soon after mm. the movie came out. Um, but it ca- But I feel like I haven't read a ton of underground comics, but I've read some. This feels like kind of revolutionary in a way because it's. I don't know if it was the very first R-rated adaptation of a comic book. It's certainly the first an X-rated. Yeah, but it's the first adaptation. underground comic book adaptation, yeah. I think. And it has it has the feeling that an underground comic has that takes you to. It it's its whole aim is to be viciously satirical on on society. That sort of acidic taste acidic yeah that's a good word to use like there's there's a there's one scene early in the movie where uh these three female cats are hitting on this uh, black crow in a park and they're they're trying to suck up to him because they're hitting on him and one of them says like oh i've read all of james baldwin i, I love his stuff and uh oh i i've i've been i've i've, I've i love the black panthers I, I love what they do and all these types of other comments that are just uh and yeah, and the black and the black crow says nothing until near the end. He's like, until at the very end, he's like, "Bitch!" I don't he says something like crazy, and then he just walks off. Um, it, it. Here, here's the thing. I, I can understand if this movie doesn't work for some, for some people. It, it is. It, it doesn't have the kind of structure that you sometimes expect with some, certain animated films. It. It does set up a point of view for Fritz that he doesn't like phoniness. He he hates a lot of what he sees in hippie culture around him and what he thinks is so-called counterculture uh, exploits and um, and so he he goes off and spends a lot of time like in Harlem nightclubs and uh, and bars and things to try to connect in another way. Like he, his whole thing is about connecting with people and. He ends up going on a lot of really insane adventures, and yet it worked for me. I, again, I can't say it'll work for everybody, but I found myself really enjoying it, seeing it this time. You certainly sound like a Kindle to it. I, I did Kindle to it more. It's not my favorite Ralph Bakshi movie by, by any means. Yeah. I still quite prefer um, other movies he made, like uh, Heavy Traffic. The Lord of the Rings. And, Nah, actually, I might like this a little more than Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is more problematic than this. Cool the world. Thing... Yeah, cool world. Uh, Coonskin is actually is probably his best movie. Um, but this one, I feel like he captured... Whether he captured Fritz the Cat the comic, I don't know. But I felt like I was watching Underground Comic the movie. Mm. And I thought that was really clever and just... They're just really wonderful little moments that Bakshi pulls off here. There's this one just random moment where you hear this Bo Diddley song. Uh, the soundtrack of this movie is wonderful too. But this Bo Diddley song's playing, and you just see like this black crow on the side of the screen snapping his fingers, and it's slowly zooming in to show like the start of another scene in the cityscape. And another cool thing too that Bakshi does to try to make this a unique experience is that he, uh, uh, like he, he would almost just, I don't know if he did it on the street or he would just find people that he almost like a neo-realist director. He would just pull people from bars and off the street and 
other people and, and have their voices as the voices of these characters. See, that would kill me. <laughs> I do not like bad voice acting. No, no, it's not bad voice acting. It's just realistic. It's just, um, you know, it, it he, he, there's a reason why I think, uh, I read a Bakshi biography years ago and it was kind of linking him to people like Scorsese and Coppola and the new wave of seventies filmmakers. Cause that's what he was trying to do that, but with animation. And so, yeah, I actually like Fritz the cat. Um, would I say it all works? No, I'm going to say that right, right now. Not, not all of it works. Some of it's really out there, but sometimes I like that. You know me. I, I like Ren Stimpy. I, I do know you. Yeah. I'm... <laughs> um, okay. So Last one more movie. Last one for me. Yeah. Okay. This is probably the most recent film. No, it's not. Peanuts was the most recent one. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, 1996, The Phantom. Okay. Starring I've, Billy Zane. I've seen little bits of this. I'm not sure if I've ever seen it from beginning to end. But uh, The Phantom is another comic strip from back in the old days. Yeah. The Phantom actually still appears in some comic books nowadays. Uh, yeah. But he... Uh, he uh, I've but seen he the comic is... strip here and there. Yeah. And or, fact, or is it, or is it a com- full comic book? Yeah, and the, and the comic strip was in syndication for, for a really long time, probably up until the 2000s. I used to get this confused with The Shadow. Right, that's different. Yeah, there was a movie called The Shadow, but he's not a comic book comic character. Yeah, and I and not I thought originally. and and I thought the Phantom was also like the Shadow, a radio show back in the in, in the early days. Different, but okay. you know it's easy to get characters like yeah. these. Confused. So I've heard some things about this movie that aren't that great. I don't know. Well, is it is it great? No, no. But is Here, it but fun? Here's what it is. Here's the best way to describe this. This is like. A low-rent Indiana Jones. Okay. And it works for that. If you... With that description, I feel like you could go into The Phantom and you would have a, just, like, a satisfying experience. You can go into The Phantom Zone. Right. There we go. <laughs> it's... And it's a pretty standard plot. Like, this... Uh, uh, a villain is searching for these ancient artifacts of intense power. There's this hero who... Uh, Who's trying to oppose him? He 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 tries to steal the artifacts ahead of them. He gets in action scenes like there's a there's like he wrestles a guy on a truck. Mm-hmm. He uh, he he hijacks a seaplane and flies away from sexy air pirates. <laughs> sexy air pirates. Yes, one of which is Catherine Zeta Jones. Oh boy! And uh, and if Dick Tracy didn't have enough action, this one has some pretty good. Uh, it has some pretty good plentiful action in it. It it delivers on its action thing. It, it's even though it's a little. Let me say this: the action is well directed. Okay. It's some of it. It's pretty is uh, is pretty imaginative. Uh, is it up there with Indiana Jones? No, but it's certainly following in that vein. Okay. Uh, and there's plenty of stuff to like about this. Billy Zane, not the greatest leading man. Eh. He. Uh, but I, I, I kind of I. There's something about Billy Zane I do kind of like. Hmm. I, it's hard to describe. Like in Titanic, he he plays what is almost uh, it could be described as maybe a mustache twirling villain. Almost. I yeah, mean, but but there's something but about fit... him that I I like. There's a certain charm to Billy Zane. Yeah, as he an actor, has, he has charm. I, I we best know him from Titanic, where he was probably perfectly cast as yeah. the type of uh, yeah. Uh, I, he's perfect uh, he fits that that type well yeah 
and he looks a very and he looks very and he's very handsome. He's kind of a pretty boy, I would say. But uh, but he's not a bad actor. No, no, I don't no, see not why at all. He, I don't see why he couldn't have pulled this off a little better. But I would chalk that up mostly to the directing. Hmm. There are some times when this film, like, I mean. You're the guy who looks at shots and directing. Right. But even I could see in certain places, like, there's this. there seems to be... So there's some sloppiness? Not... I, I wouldn't say it's sloppy. It just seems very unenergetic sometimes. Huh. I mean, there's this one shot where it's like he, when you Catherine say any... Zeta-Jones, and another female character are, like, standing in a room, and yeah. they just kind of barely interact. And there are lots of, like... It could have used a lot more energy in some places. Mm. Uh, but, so the, you know, so I don't pace, know. In... So the pacing was lax. Because sometimes when you're talking about directing, I don't know if no, you mean... Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you mean the editing or, like, the pacing in a scene, if maybe the actors should have picked it up a little bit more. Maybe... The, may, I think it's... Part of it is the editing, I think. Because okay. there are certain times where they just, like, hold on, like, a certain point of... Like, on a certain camera shot for... It's like they just let the action play out in like a medium shot, and it's it's kind of it doesn't have much energy, yeah. and you know they probably could have picked it up, edited it a little better, but you know that's up to the director and all to the editor and all that stuff. Uh, but you know the pacing of the film is pretty good as a whole. I mean, you don't go too long, you don't sit very long on one scene. On one scene, it moves at a at a decent pace. Hmm. You get from one. It's and it's not like you're even just waiting for the next action scene to happen. Uh, so a lot of the story is explained pretty well. Okay. And it seems like it's one of those films that just for its ability and for its material, it does a pretty good job. It just lacks the elements that could have pushed it far better. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like uh, maybe some of your complaints when we talked about Dread last year. Mm. Where that was a movie where you're like, it's not bad, but it's pretty good. Yeah, Dread is... I still I, I want to watch Dread again. Every once in a while, I watch clips from that, and I'm like, "Yeah, this is pretty. This is still pretty entertaining, but you know, it never reaches the high. It, it never goes to. above that B minus grade, yeah, as you said. That's pretty good. Uh, but the, the one thing that really stood out for me, yeah, is the villain. He's played by. He's played by Treat Williams. Oh boy, I and like Treat Williams. He plays this character with the most villainous name in the history of the world. Hit me. Xander Drax. (laughs) With an X. His first name begins with X. His last name ends with X. Very few people have been able to pull off the name Xander and be a hero. Even Vin Diesel is Xander Cage in uh, the Triple X movies. Yeah. And he's a total douchebag. Right. (laughs) that's kind of the point of triple X though. We got all these assholes to do, <laughs> but you missions. rarely find a movie where the, where a hero is named Xander. There are, there are some exceptions I can think of, but normally, yeah, if you have a guy named Xander and especially if his last name is Drax. Oh yeah. Oh God. But that here's the name. thing. And he's clearly, I mean, he's villainous in this. He, yeah. he, I mean, he has a, I won't get too much into the specifics, but he mm-hmm. plays this in such an interesting way. Because he's kind of insane, but he's also competent, but he's, he's the most cheerful villain you've ever seen. When you say cheerful, what do you it's mean? It's hard to explain, but it's like, <laughs> it's like he explains his evil plan and he's saying a plan, which is on the face of it, ludicrous. Mm. It's like, gentlemen, 
I'm going to get these three mystical skulls, and with it, we are going to harness unbelievable power. Oh, boy. And then someone's skeptical of this, and he's like, and he says, I'm leaving. And then he kills the guy, and he's like, all right, let's go get the skulls. And <laughs> it's like, uh, boss, don't you want to wait until night? It's like, nope, I'm mm. going now. And it's, he's got this, he's so up, he's so upbeat, even when people are opposing him. And it's kind of hammy. And a little cheesy, but it's not, but it's not hammy and he's not chewing the scenery like, like, um, what's his name? Like Jeremy Irons in Dragons. <laughs> Nobody hams it up like Jeremy Irons in but, that. And, but his energy level is, is much higher than everybody else around him. Yeah. But he's still well within the confines of the material. Okay. And that's something that this film has to be applauded to applauded for as well as it adheres to its material very well okay the the whole phantom comic strip and what its lore is and what its story is all about yeah i have an interesting piece of trivia to tell you um the uh not the main but one of the writers of the movie jeffrey bohm mm. was also one of the writers on indiana jones and last crusade huh well that a little that, bit of dna shared there right that's that's pretty cool and it, it does like it does and you know talk about DNA Indiana Jones and the Phantom share a lot of DNA. Mm. There is one creative thing where the Phantom he gets on a horse in New York and he's galloping away from the police and the police chase him on motorcycles through Central Park. Oh, nice! That was pretty creative. Uh, but you know, it it fits well within that sort of pulp genre, and it has a a good comic book sense, uh, well, comic strip sensibility. Uh, so I thought this was going to be a kind of lackluster film, a kind like the kind that came out in the '90s. Yeah, one of those forgettable films. And no, it was just like Cutthroat Island or something. Well, yeah, or um, oh man, I don't know. I'm, there were so many of them. Oh, the God. '90s is kind of a of a melange above, yeah. above certain when you go below certain films. But uh, this uh, this was really enjoyable. I'm su I'm surprised by how much I liked this film. Okay. It just my, this so is a it, film that has been featured on the Nostalgia Critic. Yes, I, I saw the review of that a, a while back too. Um, so it sounds like it'd be an okay viewing for like a you know lazy Sunday Saturday. Afternoon if you watch this TV. expecting a bad movie, you'd be like, huh, that was be much better than I thought it would be. Okay, great to know. And um, if you were like an, a fan of Indiana Jones, you would just be like, yeah, this was this is my th kind of thing. Yeah. Um, to end this pot this episode uh, on a really. Uh, now in a completely different type of movie. Uh, I just also like to recommend uh, in the uh, world of manga, uh, we have, because uh, last time we talked about Akira, I like to talk about just really quick a live action adaptation, um, Ichi the Killer. Hmm. You ever heard of that movie? Yes, I've heard of it. Oh. I have, I've seen this movie a few times uh, over the years. And every time I watch it, I am still as shocked as hell by the first, even more than the first time, because mm. this is a movie where it it's messed up. It involves characters who have certain uh, almost sexual picadillos, you could say. <laughs> um, there's a gangster character who has a um, like a, a like a almost like a needle going through like one cheek and coming out of the other, and that's just his look. There's, you know, old He's boy. Like a Cenobite. Yeah, in old boy, uh, you know, we talk about how shocking some of the stuff in that movie was. In that, um, 
you could skip ahead maybe just a minute here. Uh, if you know we, we're at this minute right now, we're gonna skip ahead the... one minute ahead, uh, starting right now. Um, in that movie, Ode Sue cuts out his tongue. Right. You know that that's the big moment where it's like, oh my god, oh that. The character does this thirty minutes into the movie. <laughs> uh, it's just nothing. It's just, oh, I messed up. I'm really sorry. I did this to you. <laughs> And it's not like built up in the way that it is an old boy, where you feel like that's that's almost integral in a Greek uh, tragedy way, mm. uh, you know, where a character is cutting out his tongue in like an Oedipal type of scenario. Um, it's like Oedipus putting out his eyes. Yeah, or, Oedipus or putting like, out his eyes. He's cutting or out his like tongue. Any number yeah. of activities here, in Titus Andronicus. <laughs> here, like this gangster character in this movie just cuts out his tongue because he's fucking insane. Mm. And it's great. Um, it's so much fun, even though it's really twisted. You have to have a strong stomach for this movie. There is a lot of blood. Some of it's a little... Hasn't dated quite as well as I wish it had. There, are, There's one effect where Ichi the Killer, the main character, he is this guy who's really could be like a good person. He mostly just plays video games, but he somehow gets activated by some guy to go out and kill people. And, and then after last year, and every time walking slowly away from the microphone, um, if you know what's good for you, you'll sit down at that, at that mic. <laughs> okay, um, but no, Takashi Miike directed this, and you know Takashi Miike, who I'm sure we'll bring up sometime soon again on the podcast, is the great Japanese wild man of cinema. Um, not all of his movies are certainly as good as others, but what his top tier works are. Uh, show somebody who has a fierce love of cinema and also has a really twisted view of the world. Mm. And Ichi the Killer is certainly one of his most twisted movies. Um, but it is also, if you like a really out there Yakuza movie, this has some sequences that are just full of visual imagination and violence that just doesn't hold back. There are scenes where characters are literally sliced in half like their entire body will be like cut down the middle and you'll just suddenly see the body cut in half come apart and yeah. things like that so yeah not the phantom <laughs> not dick tracy but it fills its function in the marketplace of the world um, well that's all we ask that is all we ask so those are some more non-DC Marvel comic book movies that we just wanted to tell you about today. Um, leaning a little bit more this time towards the comic strip variety. Uh, we didn't see Garfield. And the so utterly is insane. Yeah, we didn't see Garfield, so don't ask. And we didn't see Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties. So. No, we didn't see the movies that Bill Murray uh, <laughs> decided to sell his soul to do. Um I guess whatever. Um, but if you've seen these movies and have any thoughts about them, you can always email us at wagesofcinema at gmail.com or at facebook.com slash wagesofcinema. We're on Twitter at wagesofcinema. You can send us a tweet anytime and follow us. We love posting little goodies and interesting pictures and stuff like that uh, on our social media page. And um, when we come back next, we are going to return with our what the devil is that segment so yeah stay tuned for that
Alone. 